to The Lore You Know, a show where we chat with some amazing human beings who are storytellers, collectors, and folklorists as we discuss the history of, inspiration behind, and importance of recording and sharing regional tales. I am your host. My name is Heather Mosier, and today I am joined by author, paranormal investigator, Bigfoot researcher, and co-founder of West Virginia Cryptids and Strange Encounters, Les Odell. Hi, Les. Hi, how you doing? I'm well. I'm super excited to have you on here and for you to be the first person that I interview for this show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very honored. Well, the focus of this uh, podcast or show is going to be storytelling and folklore of the area and stuff. So I wanted to ask you first, how did you first encounter storytelling as a child? Like, who was telling you stories? Uh, it basically my grandma always told stories about different things and then my dad my dad was he was a heck of a storyteller whether whether they're ones that he made up or you know just to, for us kids to give you know to, to scare us kids or or just to make us laugh or or just true stories that that he's heard through through uh you know his family being passed down yeah my, my grandma she she told us all kinds of stuff and she tells stuff just to, just to scare us kids to death sometimes. I don't remember some of them, but I, I, I do know things. I, you know, she would do things also, you know, like, like these little tricks she did. She had, she'd done one where she'd take a, like her hanky or whatever, and it looked like it would go in and out of her ears on both sides. I don't know how she did it, but yeah, she'd do that with us little kids that scare us half to death. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so how did that, how did that manifest? Were the did the storytelling happen like during holidays, just during regular conversation while you were working? When did you most often hear the stories? It just every day, just everyday life. I mean, there there, there could be something that come up, and and my dad was like, "Oh, you know, this happened. I remember this happened." And you know, he tells a story about something he dealt with, or somebody he knew, you know, had an experience about something. It, it was just just run the mill everyday stuff, you know, or not exactly every day, but there was nothing that actually sparked it, you know, just in conversation most of the time. And you've continued this story then as you, or this whole uh, thing, as you've gotten older, you've kind of passed that down to your children as well. Yeah. I, I tell them stories. They, they laugh at me because they call them pap jokes sometimes or pap stories that I share with them. So there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole joke with that, but yeah, I, I tell them things. Uh, but the typical, I guess, uh, what do you call it? That dad thing where you just, you, you know, I'm a, just to mess around with, hey, you know, boogeyman's going to get you, you know, that, that typical thing, you know, just to get them to riled up and watch them and watch them and then, then laugh at them when they're riled up about it. So when it comes to sharing stories and folk tales and stuff, why do you think that it's important to, to share these tales, to continue these stories and especially if it's a like a family story what is the importance behind continuing that tradition so it doesn't get lost i mean I, it's it's a shame that we've gotten to the point now to me in life where everything has to do with some video game or some you know something like that instead of a traditional story or or tr traditional tale you know just just to have that passed down to the next generations for them to keep, you know, hopefully they'll pass it on down, to, you know, to their children. 
have you used, of course, you've talked about the, the typical just to get them riled up or scared or anything, but have you used any tales that you've heard since you were younger to serve as like a warning to your kids? Um, I mean, I'll tell them stories, but I don't know. I don't, you mean kind of like a cautionary tale in a way? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, like, like where I grew up in the town, where I grew up there, there's a tale about a Bigfoot type creature called the goon, the Grant Town goon. I heard it when I was younger, but then there's other people say it was, it, it's just a hoax that was made. But I've told, I've told the kids, you know, hey, you know, go out in the woods, the goon will get you, you know, or whatever, you know, don't run off in the dark, you know, stuff like that. What was that story? It almost reminds you of, the, uh, of Momo. Uh, it was in the 70s, supposedly in the 70s, and there was a hairy creature with the long, hairy, long hair over its face. It talked about the eyes being being like a reddish color and it was seen near the uh what they call the coal fields which is now now a power plant there's a power plant sets there but it was the old coal mine slate dumps from years ago uh and then on the other side of the road was just this huge uh cornfields and that's what we called it as kids was the cornfield and everybody would go up there and hang out and stuff but you know, i think it i don't know if it was a really a true true story because there's not much about it, but you know, other than you hear people say, hey, don't go near the cornfields or because the coal, you know, because the goon will get you. You know, I think it was maybe one of those stories started where they didn't want kids and people hanging around that area. So, mm -hmm. What is one of your favorite stories that you heard from the area you grew up other than this particular one? Well, it probably it's probably the buttermilk hitchhiker, which is right just, you know, right up the road from the town I grew up in. Uh, so supposedly I forget the dates and stuff, but, uh, there was, a there was a peddler years ago would come into Grant town and, and this, this, this hill, this road, that comes down from the top of the mountain comes down into Grant town. It's all twisty turning and they call it the buttermilk hill because they said when, when milk trucks or milk carriers would come off that hill, by the time they got to Grant town, the milk had already turned to buttermilk because it'd been <laughs> sloshed around so much. So but it went on and then there was a there was a story where uh, a peddler had, would come into town and then after a while he you know didn't come and they were wondering where he was at and and i guess they found his remains later where the top of the mountain was there's a big ravine or a big cliff and it would go down to the creek which is right below right at you know near grant town and they i guess they found his remains in a barrel if i'm remembering the whole story right but that in that in turn led to when people would come across the hill on horseback or buggy eventually on certain times of night and near certain you know the, the weather was certain you know the whole thing like that yeah. that they would yeah. feel something jump on the back of the horse you know hold on to them or in the, on the buggy and it would ride to the bottom this this specter would ride to the bottom of the uh, to the hill you know with them and then eventually as they got to the bottom when they got to the bottom it would disappear. Well, then that led into in later on, later on in like just fifties, sixties, you know, into the automotive, you know, with with, with automotive automotives and or automobiles and stuff. People would say that they would look in their rearview mirror and there's a, there would be this man sitting in the back seat. So they they eventually got to call the buttermilk hitchhiker. So that was pretty. That was the one I, we grew up with. That's cool. There's lots of versions of that in different areas too. That's really neat. Um, <clears throat> so 
aside from the storytelling that you've that you had as a child and then you're now passing that on what are some other ways that you've seen folklore preserved or that you have personally been preserving folklore over the years uh i try to keep a record of the things i hear talk you know people tell me the stories and i try to look into like older counts I'll, I'll try to dig into you know areas to see if i can find some older older counts of stories and, and and preserve those in writing the best I can or, or copy them down or, or keep them somewhere um, mm -hmm. uh, that way and and just talk to other you know talk to other people that have stories and try to share some with them and hopefully they can they'll do the same thing I'm doing have so one book that I know I'm pretty sure you're a fan of too is Ruth Ann music right <laughs> these two yeah right there yeah yeah <laughs> uh well since you're down in west virginia it's probably easier to do this but when uh well obviously easier than for me up here in ohio but have you gone around to find some of these locations that she talks about well a lot of those there's several of them that's from the town i'm in in the grant town area if you went through there you'll see some of the mine stories the ghost stories from the mines that's from grant town uh, mm -hmm. the Coffin Hollow one that's in, in Monongah, just right down the road for me. So yeah, that, I know where that's at. And, uh, mm -hmm. there's another one that I'm trying to remember exactly which one it was, but it was, uh, in a hollow in Grant Town. So yeah, I knew where that one was at or, you know, somewhat knew where that was at, you know, by going about the stories. Yeah. I guess I should say for people that aren't actually watching this, but listening instead that we were just talking about um, holding up the books of Ruth Ann music, the Telltale Lilac Bush and Coffin Hollow. Um, so for her, what, one thing that I like about her, and I'm wondering if you do this as well when you're recording these stories, is that in the back of her books, she kind of, she writes down who her informants were. Yeah. Um, and are you keeping a note of that, at least for you, even if you don't publicly put that out someday? Yeah, your informants are yeah the best i can yes yeah um because i've often wondered and if i mean you're familiar with the area to go back through some of these informants and try to find these people or relatives of these people and see if that is still a thing um so one thing that i also we have talked about before which i think lends itself to the whole idea of preserving something is the idea of, of course, not only preserving stories, but preserving the areas where these people lived. Um, mm. So for example, you told me once about a cemetery that you helped raise awareness to how poorly it was preserved. Yeah, that that was, I hope I did. I mean, it seemed, I, I, <laughs> I did a video and put it out there and then, then there was other people that kind of caught on with it and. Then eventually, not too long after, the, the, they they cleaned it up. It was it's the Fairmont City Cemetery, mm -hmm. and the reason I the reason I you know was at that cemetery is because I was looking into the the story about the giants here in Marion County, and and it led me to find led me to actually look for the doctor that supposed to examine these these remains that were found in Reesville. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Well, you know, because I wanted to verify that there was an you know the actual person by that name and the doctor so it led me to, to the the uh genealogy department the library and i looked it up or looked him up found found that he was a real person uh said it was a fairmont city cemetery and i actually went to the cemetery and was shocked because 
you could even see any of the graves. There was so much brush and briars. And I was actually digging through the briars to find. And I searched, I don't know, it was a little while as I crawled around in, in inside bramble bushes to actually find his his uh his actual you know marker or stone. So yeah, he, he was an actual person, whether that he had part of that story or not, you know, it depends on, you know, some of the literature you find. Right. And everything was in disrepair at that point. Yeah, it was pretty rough. Uh, they, 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 they did clean it up, but they didn't do a, to me a, a, a service to the cemetery and the folks that are there when they did clean it up. Cause basically they just took a machine and went in with like a brush hog and drove over a lot of stuff and, you know, for the most part, but it has, I haven't been down there for, since earlier this year. So I don't know what it still looks like, what it looks like now. I don't know if they let it go this year or not, but even if they did, it, it wouldn't be as bad as it was the first time I was there. Right. Right. And you kind of talk, when you mentioned going into the genealogy, like library and, and talking with people, like what are some of the steps that you've taken as you're tracking down some of these stories? That's more like a boots on the ground type approach. I mean, you start with hearing a story maybe or reading it somewhere and then from there what do you do what are some resources you use as far as the giants as far as the giants it, i it, it's in this book it's uh i don't know people can't you know nobody's going to see it but you can't it's called now long ago it's a, it's actual marion county history book okay. and it talks about the giants um in marion county or in reesville in an area called palatine and and things like that and, and it tells the doctor's names and and, and there's other stories and other things in there but it, it's a lot of it's just general history but then it talks when it talks about that it also talks about the mounds that were there uh the macadam road which mm -hmm. i don't know if you know what what that is um no. well let me let me just give you a little back story of it the there's a convergence of the tiger or yeah the tiger and the west fork rivers Okay. It's in Fairbanks. Stories from that literature says that from that convergence and that there were mounds from there all the way to what they call the, the uh, well, the Newport area, but it's called Catawba now. And there was this road that ran from those areas. It was called the Macadam Road. And I guess Macadam is a, is a type of, uh, is how it's built. I don't know. You know, I guess, but what it is is they take rocks and crushed mussel shells and build this road. And this road was nine feet wide and fourteen inches thick. When if if the road was was there, it's probably not going to be able to be found now because that the dams were built. There were dams built in the uh, early 1900s, so water level has got way way up to where it's probably covered them. The road. That road ran all the way down through through Reesville, and along and along that road, there were artifacts found, supposedly earthen mounds that are even in in the shape of like the, a profile of a face, which now they're all gone because the book says that over years they were plowed over, you know. And we're not talking huge mounds like you know, like the uh, Grave Creek Mound in Moundsville and stuff like that, but they were plowed over. But there was they talk about how bean bag full or uh, coffee bean bags full of artifacts were taken from these mounds and like shipped away uh 
along along the river in Reesville, an area where they call Palatine, and down near White Day, there were several skeletons found, you know, that were considered giants. The ones at Reesville gets talked about the most, and it says that they were they were found by a bridge crew that were building a digging a footer for the bridge that crosses the Pawpaw Creek. And Nimrod Satterfield was kind of like the, uh, uh, oh shoot, kind of like a squire, a squire, whatever, like a lawyer or judge or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they, then he had a doctor come in by Zachuel or Jedi, 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 Jedi. I can't, but Dr. <laughs> Kidwell is what's, is, is, yeah. is what his name yeah. uh, Zedekiah, not Jedekiah, Zedekiah Kidwell supposedly examined them and they were so fragile that within you know a few hours or whatever they they started to decay or fall apart yeah so they said the doctor or or uh satterfield said they needed to be reburied so supposedly they reburied them in what they call the jolliffe cemetery and in, in the book it's got jolliffe cemetery in parentheses okay. well after okay. going to the library, the genealogy department, the library, and other stuff. I, I nobody knows where there's the Jolly Cemetery in Reesville. So just, just by whims, I'm you know just driving around, checking out other places, and you know by the, some of the clues, I go to the Prickett's Fort area, which is a pretty pronounced or pretty well-known fort here. And the family, the Prickett's, were really well-known. And they have a cemetery there. And then there's a there's a small stream that runs from the river to that cemetery. So I'm at that cemetery and then I see Jolliffe stones, you know, just a few. Well, the Prickets and Jolliffe's married back in, you know, in whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, maybe they're there. Maybe this is where they're at because there's a stream that comes in from the river. It's almost directly across from Reesville. Maybe this is where they're buried. Then I did find a Jolliffe cemetery, but it's 45 miles away. It's another mm -hmm. county, and I'm thinking, well, at that time, mm -hmm. you know, in that time period, maybe that's just out of the question because that's been a long way to travel. But so I, I still went to the cemetery. It had the right. There were stones there that were in the right time period, and and then everything. But I, I just didn't didn't feel that they were. That that's where these giants could have been, you know, because just the, the way as, as far as away as it was. So then I come across. They gave me this at the genealogy department. It is a uh, 1886 map, maps of uh, of uh, the Marion County area. That's awesome. So I started, I, I was reviewing the maps and I looked and I come across this one map section that was in the Catawba, it was of Catawba, which is back then was called Newport. And I see, you know, cause it got, it's got land names or uh, landowners names on it and I see the name on the map it says Jay Jolliffe and it's the first time I found a, a, a land plot that had a you know so I went I went to that area there's a house there's a few houses there and there's a, there's one house right where where the the intersection is where the, it shows the first part of that land I pull in and here's this old fellers he's he's outside working and, and I walk up and I talk to him and, I'm, and I ask him I said hey you know, this is what I'm doing. You know, looking for the. Have you ever heard of the giant story? He said, No, I've never heard of it. And 
I said, well, I'm looking for a family cemetery. He said, there's no cemetery on the property. He said, but there is the, the barrel mount. And I'm, I'm, I'm not even thinking when I'm standing on his back porch, looking at this bank, that it's, it's a mount. Uh -huh. And I've got, I've got pictures of it. I've got aerial, you know, satellite pictures of it. And he said, yeah, people are, he said, family has known for years, this is Indian barrel mount. He said, when I grew up, he said, there was, there's a fence around it. You weren't, we weren't even allowed to have, you know, we was told don't even let the cattle on it. Don't play on it. Don't do anything. Right. right. So I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting. And, as, and I talked to him for a few more minutes. And as I was getting ready to leave, he stops me. I mean, I'm backing out in the car. He said, Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, by the way, he said, there's no, there's no graveyard here, but there's one across the, the creek over on the bank on the other side of it, you know, over, up on the hill. And I was like, okay. So I drove up there and I'm like all excited to see what I'm going to find. And it, it, I was disappointed at first because it was all modern, more modern stone. And I got out, yeah. still walked around and I noticed back in the back, I could see this just huge, like, I don't know what kind of tree it was, but it was a dead stub that was 10 or 12 feet tall and probably three, three or four feet wide, just standing there. And then there was a big cedar huge cedar pine which you know by the size of it, it was old and i'm thinking they for and i don't know the background you may but they are in a lot of cemeteries around here they use cedar they put big cedars in cemetery or made cities had or put cemeteries where there was big cedars i don't i don't know why but they are here and i was like well i'm gonna check it out and i started walking back as i get closer i'm looking at the stones and i'm seeing names and this star name and, this, and then all of a sudden I see Jolliffe. I see this first stone says Jolliffe. Then I see wooden planks sticking out of the ground. And I keep walking and I see Jolliffe, Jolliffe, Jolliffe. And I'm and and I'm like, holy cow, you know, that maybe, maybe I'm maybe this is it. And I walk over to that stub and it's a drop-off, goes down to this creek that it's called a little little creek. And I look over from that vantage point. The first thing I can see is the mount. I can see the, the, the whole mount. And I'm thinking, oh, th this has got to be where they're at. So I went back yeah. and I started looking into the doctor. And that's how I found, and then I found him. And I found Nimrod Satterfield, his, his, his grave. And then I was like, and I was, as I looked into the doctor, I started reading through his bio that's been written. And there's one last paragraph that says he was the he was the a, a found or not a founding, but a, a, a member of the MP church, an outstanding, upstanding member of the MP church. And I'm thinking, I see, I've seen that somewhere before. Where have I seen MP church? So I started reading again, the confinement where I was reading. Then I looked at the map. And right beside the mound, there's the church. And on the 1885 Atlas, it says MP church. So I like, holy cow, you know, you got the mound, you got Jolly Cemetery, you got MP Church. And then if you, if you read into a little bit more, it talks about the Macadam Road. And where's the Macadam Road in? In Catawba, right where Little, Little Creek is, it comes off the river right there. So if those, if those giants in Reesville, they, you know, if they're, you know, I may be completely off, but there may be a Jolly Cemetery there. But for me, everything leads to that cemetery. And because of the mound, the doctor, you know, and, and things like that. Yeah. And then 
I went on a little bit further and started just reading into the area. And you hear about them being found in Palatine. And anybody that's from the Fairmont area knows Palatine as a Palatine Park. There's a little spot in Fairmont they call Palatine. But if you look up to Catawba area, like any like the church or anything now, that's called the Palatine District. So Catawba is actually called Palatine. So maybe, and then I talked to a lady online and she says she remembers her grandfather talking about giant skeletons being found in Palatine and that where she lives in Catawba. So the ones that were being talked about in Palatine, I don't think are in the Fairmont city area of Palatine. I think they were actually found in Catawba. And the other ones that were found in White Day are only just like mile, like two or three miles down the road. So that's, I think they're all, they, that that area is key to where those they're they're at if they if they did exist. Yeah, and you wrote this all down, right? Okay, good. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so that all started because of the the book that you have that you showed us. You starting to get these stories from that. Like, what are some of your other favorite folklore books to head into some of these stories other than Ruth Ann Music and the local book that you showed us um I, i'm i don't know if i'm I just some local authors or some mm -hmm. folks that i know uh, you know things like that uh if i find a little book like this one here i've had i've had this one for years as you can tell Ooh. what is that it's by regina and ray d or I can't, I can't. Ariano? Dariano? I don't know. Dariano, yeah. I, okay. I don't know. It's looks like it's Italian. I couldn't speak. I couldn't <laughs> pronounce it. But I've had that. My mom, my mom got this book for me somewhere. I, I remember she was, uh, or I was in uh, fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade. Mm -hmm. And she got me this. So I've had that a long time. But it tells about the ghost in the mine. Uh, it, I think it just tells about, it's not just ghost stories, but it has like, you know, that those little, the lamb and the wolf, you know, things like that. It just, mm -hmm. folklore stories. Obviously local lore is something that is of interest to you, but are there other geographic areas that have piqued your interest as far as their folklore goes? I, I just like to hear stories from all over, basically. I can't say there's one particular area. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like the superstitions or, or stories like the Irish and stuff that, you know, the, whether it's the banshee or whether it's like superstitions, like if someone passes away in a house, you cover the mirrors or you know, things like that. You know, I like, I like that stuff. Yeah. When, um, are you familiar with Patrick Gaynor's book, um, which is Ghosts and Signs? I should have brought it today so I could hold it up, but it's, it's a red book. It's got a red cover. And so it's divided into three sections, witch lore, ghost lore, and then signs. And the signs are more like, you know, um, the most recent one that I'm thinking about is, oh, you got it? Yeah, I forgot my son got it for me for Father's Day. Now that you're ah, about, there it is. Yeah. yeah. All right. So in the, in the last section where he has signs, it, it has things in it like um, the most, I don't know. What pops in my head is the idea of the woolly worm being outside and you look at the right. color of the woolly worm. So I was right. wondering when it comes to little signs like that, which still fall in the realm of folklore, right. are there 
anything that you use because you're outside all the time? Are there things that you were taught over time and you just kind of are aware whether it's weather related or animal related or anything like that? Uh, yeah, the, the woolly worm, we, uh, we've always done that. You know, if it's all black, you're gonna have bad winter. If it's, you know, you know uh, the persimmon, the persimmon seeds, if you cut them open, if it's a spoon, you'll have a lot of snow in the, in the winter. If it's a fork, you won't have as much, but if it's a knife, it'll, there won't be any at all. You know, if it's just the shape of the seed, um, what else? If you, uh, the, the amount of times you have fog in November is the amount of days you'll have snow in December. Uh, that's one that my grandma used to say all the time. Um, there's, there's a lot of them that, that I, you know, the whole, the, the general ones, you know, don't cross under, don't go under a ladder, you know, an open ladder. If a black cat crosses your path, I think it's right to left is good luck, left to right is bad luck, something like it's one or the other. But we've always been told if a black cat crosses your path anytime, with that, my dad always says it's just bad luck, anyway. Uh, you know, things like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, all right. So, last question. Mm -hmm. We're going to set the scene, okay? We're, we're back at the Heyman house sitting okay. on the porch right and it's summer it's nice outside we're just relaxing and i just say less tell me a story what would you tell me like like a, a a true life story folk story i mean whatever i'm just there to listen i, mean, I could i probably would most time i would tell my first my first personal experience is why i got into paranormal to start with uh, i mean later in life i did uh yeah i was around seven or eight years old and as, as a kid as a kid we moved quite a bit my dad was he was let's say he my my grandma even my grandma moved a bunch so my grandma said that was gypsy blood and, or she had gypsy blood so they moved and i mean we actually sat down one time my dad and my and my or and my uncle and my dad sit down, not me, I'm sorry, but uh, they wanted to remember, you know, try to, you know, write down how many places that they moved during their life, during their childhood. And my my son even, my oldest son even makes, laughs at me because we'll go someplace and say, well, you know, Nan used to live right here, great Nan used to live right here. But they figured out that they had moved in their childhood between 50 and 60 times. They moved that many times. So as a kid, we moved quite a bit. I moved almost every year, a couple times. There was twice a year, as, you know, growing up until I was in sixth grade. So when I, when it, when it was, you know, around, I think it was second grade, you know, because I was in Monongah Elementary School. So we moved into this house, moved in, in the middle of the night, you know, because dad was working. So we'd move after he got home from work. But it was a big farmhouse. I mean, just, I mean, just your typical West Virginia old farmhouse. It, it, it just, I, I, it was a lot of room to roam. You had the 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 yard was not fenced off, but it had a perimeter of pine trees that, that was across the yard. It had a big sunroom on the front of it. Had out and out couple outbuildings, uh, a, a huge barn. A, a big block chicken coop and, and an outhouse. We actually used an outhouse. I'm not even, you know, yeah. some people are old enough to use that. Yeah, I use an outhouse. You know, and I, 
you know, I was 50, but still using a house. And, but the thing was, I, it, the house inside, when I was inside, gave me the weirdest feeling from the time I, from the time we moved in there. And I, I, I don't know, I'd walk through the house and it felt like something was going to jump from the rooms, like dark rooms and grab you. And, and, and there was one stairwell went up to the, this attic part or it was actually a big room, but it, I would consider it the attic. And that stairwell just, just creepy, as creepy as can, can be. Well, after a little time there, I, uh, well, let me back up. We, my brother and I shared a bedroom. There was only two of us at the time. There's three of us now. There's two of them, two of us at, at that time. We shared a bedroom, and as some of the, all the you know, you hear the creepy old stories go, and the bunk beds, you know, the evil bunk beds. We shared bunk beds. So I, uh, which I think bunk beds might be a portal to hell or something. You always hear stories about. Bunk beds. Um, but I, I was on the bottom bunk, and I remember being able to. It, it, let me set let me set the room up. As you walked in the door, the bunk beds would be on the left. And then you had a, a, a offset of the room to the right. And we had a, an old wardrobe that was there that belonged to my my grandma. Well, actually it belonged to her uh, significant other, because my grandpa died before I was born. But I knew he was cons- I considered him my grandpa, but they had never married. But it belonged to him. And then you went and there was a window on the other side of the room and I would go we'd go to bed and and I would notice these little shadows coming from the doorway like going across the walls you know going toward the window and I had no idea what they were you know you know thinking you know seven or eight years old I'm thinking well maybe maybe it's just the light from outside then then after a couple times I noticed that there was a big a large shadow standing in the corner that I could tell what it was. And it was, it had a figure of a, of a person, you know, your typical shadow person you hear now, you, I hear stories about now and it's, it's standing there. And I would take and I take the covers and I'd pull them over my head and I tried to scream for my dad. I couldn't scream. And, you know, people, and, and you got people now like, oh, it's, sleep paralysis no i was i was completely awake i remember being awake i remember pulling the covers over and i'd look out and it would be gone or i'd fall asleep you know basically out of exhaustion you know waiting and uh and then it'd go it'd go a little bit and nothing would happen then and it would happen again i'd see it again and it happened in my mind i remember it happened like three or four times seeing this thing standing in the corner and i'd try to try to scream for my dad and i couldn't I just couldn't get it, couldn't get to do anything. Well, the last time I remember seeing it is I, instead of just pulling the covers up, I slid up because the bunk beds were against the wall. I slid up into the corner of the headboard and the wall. And when I did, this thing went from looking to in the direction where these other shadows would move to turning his head and looking at me. And then within a split second, it was like eight to 10 inches from about this far, about that far from my face, leaned in underneath the bed and was just, I couldn't see any features. There was no, no eyes, no, you know, things like that. I could just see the shape of the head and the shoulders. And it leaned, when it leaned in, 
people, you know, you hear people talk about seeing the shadow figures blacker and black, and it might, you know, it looks like maybe just a, a blank cutout of something super black. It had that shape of, of a human, of a person or whatever, but it wasn't steel. The black, in, it was almost like that shape had super condensed black smoke inside of it, just swirling around. I, you know, it was, it was, I mean, I, it, I still freak out thinking about it, you know, but it, it was moving. It was moving yeah. inside. It was just like swirling around all different directions and, and it just leaned in and within a little bit of time, I don't know how long, but to me, it felt like it was forever. It moved back, kind of turned. And I can't say it walked away because I, I couldn't see anything walking, but it went out and it used the door. It went through the door and turned left and went toward our living room. My mom and dad's bedroom was right on the other side of mine. And it went down toward our bedroom. And that was the last time I seen it because we, we moved not too long after that. We eventually moved. And, but and that's, so that's been 40 years ago. And I still probably once or twice a year, I'll have, I'll have a uh, recurring nightmare that something I'm in that house, something's chasing me through the house and I'll wake up and I'll be, I'll, you know, kind of screaming sometimes wake myself up with doing that, or I'll wake up and even be crying and like, and then I'll eventually go back to sleep and then it starts right over. It doesn't start like the beginning. It starts where I stopped. It just keeps, it starts over. So I thought all my life, I think, you know, I've never really told anybody about that. I kept that story and I never told anybody. So one day I, I decided to write, I wrote it down because somebody, there was a radio show wanting to have, you know, a few cents stories. So I wrote it down and I sent it in. They, that was the first one they read online. And so I let my dad hear it. And he, and I said, you know where that was at? And he said, I absolutely do. He said, that was in four states. It, and at Michael's Hill, I was like, how do you know? He, he wouldn't tell me. So he had to have experienced something in the house as well. because so he knew exactly where, where, where the story was at. Yeah, yeah, that would probably be the one I started out with most of the time. I like that. Have you gone back to that house? It's gone. I've been back. I've been to where it was at, but it's been torn down. The whole farm's gone. Oh, man. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a good one to start with, I think. And a good reason to get into all of this weirdness. Yeah. So you just came out with this. Yes. Yeah. And I have a copy. I, I was excited to tell Seth that I have one, but he said he has one too. So I'm like, Les signed it for me. He said he already has one. So I couldn't hold that over him. But anyway yeah so west virginia cryptids visual field guide for traversing the mountain state that you wrote in mark a randall did the illustrations for um so i encourage anybody to pick that up where can we find and follow you and share stories with you uh my facebook you can yeah you can look at, you know reach out to me personally or on West Virginia Cryptids and Strange Encounters, which is WV, and don't spell it the whole West Virginia, it's WV Cryptids and Strange Encounters. Uh, you can send me an email at westvirginiacase304 at yahoo.com. Uh, if you're interested in the, the book, you can find it on Amazon uh, because I actually don't have any right now. I've sold them all out. You can find them on Amazon. 
and I think I'm pretty sure Mark is sold out too. So, hey man, that's a good problem to have. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. Um, so for our listeners, please continue to follow Small Town Monsters, like, subscribe to our channel on YouTube, become a channel member uh, for more behind the scenes fun, early access to some of our shows like Beyond the Trail in 4K, um, and also the ability to watch as much Small Town Monsters as you want without commercials, because that's always the best. Um, and if there's anybody that you want to hear talk about the lore that we should know, please feel free to email me at heather at smalltownmonsters.com or leave a comment below. So until next time.